0: Okay, that's brilliant. So Jessie Anderson is gonna come up here. This is uh, this is Jessie, give her a round of applause as she arrives, please. You don't know what she's gonna say though, of course, so you may not be that excited in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jessie, you've um, you've been trying this um, Discovery Bible Method. Mm-hmm. Just just tell us a little bit about how you got started.
1: Um well, I got started with um, Apex's, one of Apex's trainings um, on the Discovery Bible Method. And they prompted us to ask the Lord um, for someone who he wanted us to try this with. And so I did. I asked the Lord. I said, who would you like to try this with? And he told me the name of a friend of mine. And so I reached out and she said yes. And then he actually brought another friend to me who I didn't even have to ask, but who came saying, you know, I kind of, I need I want to build a relationship with God. I want to strengthen my faith life, but I don't really know how to do that. And I know that you have a relationship with God, so do you have any ideas? And so, I, you know, I was like, well, I just learned about this method.
0: We could try it. <laughs> so the Spirit was obviously working mm-hmm. to help you connect with people. Yes, absolutely. And obviously was, was working in the connections. How, how do you sense the Spirit leading you on in all of this right now?
1: Um, right now, it feels like the Spirit is saying... Um, there, you know, there's there's people that he brings to mind every so often. So there's a few people that I have in mind that I'm I'm waiting for that nudge to say like now's the time to ask. Um, sort of in the middle of just building relationships and waiting for that nudge to say go for this again. Um, one I'm still doing the Discovery Bible method with one of my friends. Um, the second one, um, she's kind of moved on, schedules changed, but I mean the spirit works regardless. So
0: absolutely. So Jesse, when you think about what you've received from the Spirit during this time. What would you say that would be?
1: Um, I guess encouragement and edification. Um, It was so cool to watch someone who hadn't really, like, you know, was really unsure about this whole faith thing. She'd been around people who uh, had relationships with Jesus um, but never really understood what it was all about. So just to watch the Spirit um, speak foundational faith things to her, to watch things like, you know, she was bound up in all this religious, well, do I have to do this? Or do I have to do that? And I didn't have to say anything. Um, The word just spoke and the spirit taught her so much. And just to watch that was so encouraging to me and relieving that I didn't need to be, um, doing anything like the spirit really was like i've got this you just follow my promptings and i will do the rest
0: fantastic what a brilliant thing great testimony there from jesse don't you think fantastic (laughs) can you give that microphone to terry when she comes up here wherever she is where's terry there she is (laughs) so uh, terry's going to come and read the passage today and the passage is all about a man used by god in word and spirit so listen carefully to Acts chapter eight.
2: Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotel. Azotus, and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea.
0: Fantastic. Great job. Thank you, Terry. Come on. Hey, what about that? I tell you what, it looks easy until you try it. Let me tell you that. So today we're going to, beginning with Philip, the evangelist, we're going to look at the two fundamental components of mission. How can we as disciples make disciples of others, and how, how can we be equipped with the essential tools to be able to fulfill that mission? Philip was an amazing person. He's not, a, he's not an ordinary character in the Bible. He's definitely not an ordinary character in church history, and certainly wouldn't be an ordinary character if he was wandering around here with us in-house or online. Philip was an amazing person. He was one of the seven who were selected by the apostles in Jerusalem and the early church to oversee the distribution of resources to the most needy within the church. You'll remember that there were different language groups at the time in the early days of the the Jerusalem church and the Hebrew-speaking widows, the people who were most in need, were receiving more resources than the Greek-speaking widows because the distribution was being done by people who spoke Aramaic, who spoke with the Hebrew tongue. And so they, they got together, they worked out a solution, they got people who were full of the Spirit and full of wisdom, one of whom was Stephen, the first martyr of the church, the other is Philip, the first person identified as an evangelist, as a, as a bearer of good news. Philip, when the persecution breaks out, is scattered along with everyone else. And he goes to Samaria, to the people who are despised by other Jewish people. And he goes there and sees an amazing breakthrough of God's spirit. He sees remarkable things. And Peter and John come to validate and authenticate the work by laying hands on these Samaritans so that they might be filled with the Spirit. So Philip is the first cross-cultural evangelist. And in the preparation that he gets by being the first cross-cultural evangelist, he becomes the first evangelist to Africa. The Ethiopian is on his way back from worshipping in Jerusalem. We've looked at it together in the last few weeks. Here is a man who, according to the history, according to the memory of the church, which, of course, is profoundly precise when we discover the memory of the church is so often authenticated by documents that are yet unseen. But over the years, we've noticed that the memory of the church is surprisingly accurate as other artifacts are uncovered to reveal what it is that the church believed that it already knew. And what it is that the church remembers of this time was that the eunuch went back to Candace and led her to Christ and the whole royal court. And there, in that African nation, the first African church was planted. And for perhaps 600 years, until the onslaught of Islam, the African church was amazingly fruitful and vibrant. And of course, today is one of the great churches of the planet. So Philip was incredibly instrumental in being the person that God was able to use at particular moments. Now, it may, may not be that, that we get to be used in such significant ways, but it's important that we look at Philip's life to see the preparation that's, that's been done in his life so as to make him useful on any occasion, whether it be the distribution of food, whether it be reaching out cross-culturally, or whether it be in, as it were, establishing a milestone in the history of the church. Philip goes on after the story that we've just had read to us so beautifully by Terry to settle in Caesarea, this wonderful Roman city on the Mediterranean coast where, where great harbors were built in, in, memory, in, in memory and in, in recognition of the Roman family. Here in Caesarea, one of the great ports of the world, Philip came to rest. And there he established his family. And by the time we get to Acts 26, we discover that his family all hear the Lord. He has four daughters, all of whom are prophets. This this evangelist has now established children who, as we spoke about last week, know how to hear the Lord and know how to put it into practice. It has become a prophetic household, so clearly identified as a staging post in the work of God's kingdom that many people come. Paul himself, with his missionary team, comes and spends time in the home of Philip. And no doubt, Luke, who was with Philip at the time, gathered these stories whilst he was there. The great prophet Agabus came to the home of Philip and told Paul, of what was waiting for him in Jerusalem. So an amazing story. But the things that Philip did and saw, the ways in which he raised his children, the ways in which his family was formed, were all built on two essential components. Components that you see so clearly identified in the text that we have before us. When Philip is in the desert, imagine an angel has come and says, go to the desert. Well, I mean, the desert then was pretty much as the desert is now, an incredibly dangerous place. You don't just go and walk out into the desert. But there he is on the desert road, waiting for whomever it is that the spirit will send his way. And along comes this royal procession, no doubt a great caravan of Numerous numbers of vehicles. And in verse 29, this is what it says. The Spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. So the very first component that we see in the life of Philip is this fundamental understanding that his life is governed His life is directed. His life is empowered and inspired by the presence of the Spirit of God. This is the normal practice for Christians. Over the years, this has become the very fabric of my understanding of my life and my work. On an average week, I'll meet with dozens of leaders all around the world, usually online, sometimes face-to-face. I have the privilege of training and, and encouraging and coaching them. And if ever you join me in those times, you'll notice that my interactions with them sometimes depart from what appears to be the script We may be looking at particular things together, but as the conversation continues, it's quite clear to me that the Holy Spirit is guiding me to lead people in different directions. And often people who join me there, they say, so how did you know that that person needed to hear that? Because the Spirit says, do this. The Spirit says, say this. Now last week we looked a little bit at what it means to have the Spirit direct your life. And of course, what I mean by that is He directs us according to the wiring, according to the design specification that God has built into all of us in general and you and I in particular. Now, my personality type, Means that very often it's visual cues that cause me to pause. I'll, I'll remember uh, one time I was um, I was uh, praying for a particular person who was a hotel owner uh, down on the um, uh, South Carolina coast, and I noticed that his shirt had anchors and boats and ropes connecting the anchors to the boats, and it was very bright yellow and. You know, it's almost impossible not to notice it. And I thought, wow, anywhere in the world somebody would know that this was an American. (laughs) Because it was just extraordinarily bold. And I felt the Spirit just prompt me. Now, some of you are wondering, you know, does God speak audibly? Well, of course he does from time to time, and certainly that's happened to me maybe three or four or five times in my life. But the most common way, because of my wiring, is through mental imagery. Yes, it may be cued by something I see, but, but certainly the reference of sight and those inner pictures begin to unfold. And I was looking at this, at this shirt, and as I, as I looked at his shirt, so this picture began to unfold of a, of a boat, In a harbor, anchored, and the sea being set fair, and a fine wind being ready. I'd never met the guy before in my life. I didn't know he was a yachtsman. And uh, I shared it with him. I said, I think God is saying, weigh anchor, go for the horizon. Immediately he broke down. I had no idea that it was that significant, but it was life-transforming. And if you meet him today, he'll say, from that moment, his whole life and direction changed. Two weeks ago, I was praying with some young pastors in the home of a person down near Cincinnati. I was working with the vineyard churches, and um, this young fellow stood up, and as he stood up, I saw what looked like, it looked a little bit like an ebony tree. All the, all the bark was taken away, and as I looked at this tree, as I was praying for him, he had a kind of a, he, he had a dark beard and, and quite a tanned complexion. And, and it, I thought, well, maybe I just think that he looks a little bit kind of, you know, like polished wood, but I, I don't know, he doesn't really. But anyway, I attended to the picture in my mind as I was just praying quietly for him as he stood there. And I I saw the tree wasn't a walnut tree or or an ebony tree. It was a persimmon tree. And I looked down at the the root and I saw that some of the wood was taken from the tree and it was fashioned into a golf club. And then I saw him hit this old-fashioned golf club, this persimmon golf club. And he knocked the ball down the fairway. And I said to him, I think that God is saying that he's going to use you to help advance your congregation in the direction that he's leading you right now. And he smiled. And so we just carried on praying. I thought, well, obviously that's a weird thing to say to somebody. I've never said that before in my entire life. And then he began to cry a little bit, and then he smiled a bit, and then he cried a bit. And I said, I'm sorry about that weird picture. I maybe had too much cheese with a pizza. Or, I mean, I don't know. And he said, well, you were not to know that the big choice for me was whether I became a professional golfer or a pastor. And he said, maybe nobody else in the room knows what a persimmon golf club looks like, but I do, and I know exactly what it is that God was saying to me. Now, what's it like being like Philip? What's it like being like anyone who has learned to grow in the things of the Spirit so that you're able to move with the Spirit and you're able to speak by the Spirit and able to give people breakthroughs by the Spirit? Well, what it's like is that you've learned that when the Spirit came to live within you, he brought his whole toolkit. He didn't leave any of the tools behind. He brought them all in. So, when I read, when I read the read the scriptures, and I maybe go to Romans twelve, which talks of the kind of the practical gifts that the Holy Spirit releases in the body, or or the more dynamic kind of apparently more spiritual gifts, they're not more spiritual, but apparently more spiritual gifts that we read about in in 1 Corinthians 12, or or maybe we look at the areas of work that that help us to identify with the ministry of Jesus in Ephesians chapter 4. What is it that that we see there? Well, some people, you know, they look at the lists of the gifts of the Spirit and they say, well, (sighs) I guess I've got the gift of helps. And I think, God bless you. Wow. Or maybe it's a businessman and, you know, the only thing that they've ever heard from the local church is that they're good for their money. And so they say, well, I, I guess I've got the gift of giving. And what I want to say is this. The gift is the Holy Spirit and he brought all the tools with him he didn't leave any of them behind. And of course, Paul says, at any one meeting, you don't all use all of the gifts of the Spirit, but the gifts of the Spirit are a manifestation of his presence. The Greek word phanerosis means the revealing of what is within. And so the Holy Spirit comes, and and he, he just begins to lay his hand upon you. Manifestation, I think, is from the Latin dancing hand. And he may give, you know, one particular gift or another one. He may just cause it to manifest in you. And you may think, "I, I don't know. I don't know whether I've ever given a word of prophecy before. Well, have a go. Have a go. It's difficult to get it wrong when everybody's an amateur. There are no professionals here. And here's the thing. If you've got the calling to be apostolic or the calling to be prophetic or the calling to be an evangelist, you still get to use the gifts of the Spirit, but in that particular area of work. And so I've just described to you some of the ways in which prophetic gifts work in my life. But of course, those same prophetic gifts working in a person who has a greater capacity as a pastor, someone who's counseling others, or or a greater capacity as an evangelist, these gifts of prophecy will work in a different way. So, So certainly, we can say that Philip is a great example to us in our mission of... Needing to rely upon the Holy Spirit, needing to rest in the presence of the Holy Spirit, in the knowledge that he brought all the gifts with him. Why not ask God for a fresh revelation that all of the gifts he brought with him? This is what Paul says in First Corinthians chapter 14 eagerly desire all the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. If you're supposed to eagerly desire all of the gifts, it's not because God doesn't want to give them to you. He's not like that. We're supposed to eagerly desire all the spiritual gifts because God is in the business of a. Abundantly blessing and releasing his self within us. Don't hold back. Be that bold child who says to the father, Do you know what? I'd love to have gifts of healing. Great. Let's go for it. Start praying for sick people. I'd love to have gifts of miracles. Good. Well, let's start praying for it. I'd love to have gifts of tongues, sure, the least of the gifts, but it's wonderful to be able to be animated in your prayer with the language of humans and angels, of course. Why wouldn't you do that? The Spirit is most certainly essential if we're going to be effective in God's mission. And then, look, what else it says here? In verse 34, it says, The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news of Jesus. Here's the other thing that you see in the life of Philip. This is what you see in the life of the first example of the evangelist in the scriptures. This is is what you notice about this great exemplar of faith and mission. He relies upon the spirit and he trusts that the word of God is powerful, like a double-edged sword, able to divide between joint and marrow, soul and spirit, discovering the very attitudes the very orientations of a of a person's heart the word of god is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path when i was a young man i think i was about 19 so it's probably i don't know 10 years ago no maybe 15 so when I was 19, I was at seminary. <clears throat> I, as you know, I became a Christian at 16, went to seminary at 18. I don't recommend it, but that's the way the Lord led me. And at 19, I went with my oldest and best friend, uh, Nick, uh, down to the south of France. We just thought we'd hang out and, you know, swim in the sea and have fun. And it was a little place called um, Saint-Cyprian. And it was near, uh, near the Pyrenees, and um, it was just... Delightful, lovely place. And uh, we decided that we were going to rent two mopeds. Now, I don't know whether everybody knows what a moped is, but a moped is a small motorcycle with a very small engine that you start by pedaling it. And it kind of has this method, I think it's probably a magneto in there that gets the thing rolling, and then the engine fires and splutters and then you start off. And it probably does, I don't know, 25 miles an hour and we were down there in the south of france and we looked at the mountains and we thought they look fun let's go over those so we we set off and we said to the guy how uh, you know when do you want it back and he said well you can bring it back tomorrow and we thought, 24 hours i reckon we could do it in 24 hours so we set off and we went right into the pyrenees to a little principality called La lapartus which at the time, I don't know what it does now, its principal task seemed to be to supply uh, alcohol to the world. (laughs) And um, it's just this tiny little kind of stamp sized place. So we we went there and we we got the the engines filled up again and then we went down the other side of the Pyrenees because what we were were making for was a a town called Figueras in Catalonia, in the northeastern corner of Spain. Because Figueras was the was the home, the birthplace of Salvador Dalí, and always being a, a kind of a art buff, I thought, well, let's go. So we went down to the, and it's this amazing kind of surreal landscape. the 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 castle has eggs on the on the castellations and the and the the museum instead of having having sculptures on the, on the pedestal. It has like a deep-sea diver and then somebody... And it's kind of weirdly wonderful, just like Salvador Dali. And we went there and we hung out for a little while and then we got on the, on the mopeds and we thought, well, we've got to get back by the morning. So we set off and we thought we'll just ride through the night. And we decided that we'd ride through the night along the coastal road and then my lights gave out. And there are no streetlights on the coastal road between Figueras and San Ciprian, I can assure you. I don't remember there being, I actually don't remember there being any border patrol either. You, I, I don't know when I was in Spain or when I was in France. We just. And it was absolutely pitch black except for when the lighthouse on the furthest promontory of land swept the land as well as the ocean with the light from the lighthouse. And I knew that that vertical drop on the right-hand side was going to be something I was going to go down if I didn't have some light. And so what I did is I rode right on the wheel of my buddy Nick. And I used his headlight as my headlight. It was like he was a kind of illustration of the word of God to me. That he was a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I wasn't able to illuminate my path. I had no capacity in myself to understand where it was that I was going. But, but the word of God is able to do that. And like on that occasion with Nick, I was able to see the path ahead of me. We need the Spirit and we need the Word. Just recently, uh, as Jesse testified, I've been working with different people in encouraging them to, to try another method of evangelism. The method of evangelism that relies upon the Holy Spirit to connect you to the right people. And in connecting you to the right people, trusting that the Bible will speak for itself about the one who wrote it and about the one about whom it's written, Jesus. I was uh, with Ben over there uh, in a coffee shop. Catherine over here had had met him and said, you've got to meet this guy. He's an artist. That's where the connection is. Of course, I love all that stuff. I think basically because I can't do it. It looks like magic to me. I love it. And um, Ben is, uh, I think, the only public artist in... In Dayton he's responsible for uh, doing the chalk drawings that you'll see uh, down in um, the Oregon district and, and things like that and we got chatting and it was just fascinating talking to him and I, I did a podcast with him and at the end of the podcast I said do you know what Ben I, I'm really thinking that I'd like to read the Bible and I wonder whether you'd like to do that with me and he said yeah I'd love to do that I said any particular passage that you'd like to study he said, yeah, I think I'd like to study Ecclesiastes. I thought, wow. And I said, any particular version? He said, yeah, that that one that was kind of weird. That one that was, that was written by that poet dude. I said, oh, you mean the message? He said, yeah. So I grabbed Catherine and said, you're going to have to help me. I, I'm not sure what I know what I'm doing, but... We met in my study all the way through COVID, and we went through Ecclesiastes. It was amazing. The Lord spoke to me every time. The Lord came in the room every time. And Ben's parents came last week to just have a chat with me to say that whatever it was that was happening had been an amazing transformation in Ben's life. So I said to Ben at the end of uh, our time in Ecclesiastes, I said, what do you think? Do you think we should do this with other people? He said, sure. And so he got his Nick, his best friend, and they got their girlfriends together. And then Catherine found somebody else, and we began what we called a Discovery Bible community. Now here's the thing. There's one person that does the hosting, that makes everybody feel at home. But if you've brought somebody, you're responsible for for making them feel connected and, and, and comfortable within the community. And I know this might offend some, so please forgive me if it does, but because of the context that we're working in and the way in which people meet and gather, we just have a drink together. Some of the guys have a cigar. We sit outside in someone's yard. And then, because I'm the moderator, I'm not the leader, the the boss, I'm not the teacher, I'm the moderator who's kind of there as a, as Ben calls it, a silent authority. I read the passage, I summarize it without any information from outside of the passage. And then we just go into into smaller groups of twos and threes and we say to one another the main thing in the text that we think is important we're learning to ask the first question of discipleship what is Jesus saying to me we share it with one another and then we come back to a group and the theologians call it a midrash time which I know it sounds like a strange allergy but it's a Hebrew word for gathering the thoughts of the people. And so we get a little whiteboard out, and Catherine usually fills it in unless she's enlisted somebody else to do it. And we put the main elements of the passage up on the whiteboard, and it validates everybody's word from God. Everybody's got a word, and everybody's got it validated on the board, and everybody's got a sense of what it is that God is saying to the group. And then we say, okay, okay. What are we going to do about what it is that we've heard this week? And we go around and they give their intentions. And usually, uh, Sinead, who's there, because she's brilliant on texting, she takes it all down as to what it is that everyone's intention is and then sends it out on our text, which is called stupid. It wasn't, it wasn't named by me. It was named by one of the group. They decided that they call the text stupid. But it does mean that when I see the text coming through through the week, I know exactly what it is. And we have a photograph of the whiteboard, and we have our intentions, and they are amazing. Now, as you know, I'm very, very old, and I've been doing this for a very long time. And I'm not using hyperbole here. I have never seen a Bible study in which the evidence of revival is so strong. I've never seen one, and I've seen hundreds. And it's revival, I think, because we're entirely reliant upon the Spirit. We're entirely reliant upon the Spirit revealing himself in the Scriptures. And here's the rule. No one's allowed to bring any information to the text that's not in the text. So there's no power imbalance between the people who are in the know and the people who aren't in the know. It's only what's in front of us. And it's dynamic and life-changing. And I think is the beginning of what I understand to be a movement of God. Incidentally, if you want to join that group, um, then here's, here's the deal. If you come with somebody who you know wants to read the Bible with you, then you can join in. Uh, We'll be doing it over in Oakwood in one of our homes over there. But you can only come if you bring another person, because that's the deal. And if you do want to come, then contact Becky, my assistant, or speak to me personally, and we'll find a way of building this thing. But I think God's doing it anyway. And the reason I think he's doing it is because in every generation, he reveals himself in spirit and word and reminds the church again that we're not supposed to hop around on one leg. Well, I'm a Bible person. Good. Well, you're not going to get very far then, are you? Well, I'm a spirit person. Yep. How are you doing going up those stairs? The Holy Spirit caused to be written the word of God. And we need him and his book to be able to do the work of the mission of Jesus. And here's the thing. It's the easiest, most fun thing you could ever imagine. The easiest, most fun thing you could ever imagine. Because you don't have to be clever. You don't have to be educated. You don't have to be a theologian. You just have to be able to read. Or have somebody else who's there who can read, and they can read the text to you. So what am I saying as we conclude our time today. I'm saying that Philip is an amazing example of extraordinary exploits. But the things that caused Philip to be able to do great things are the very things that are available to you and I right now today. And who knows What great things will be happening in the coming weeks and months and years because we remember that the tools of the task are there in our hands. That the Spirit that Jesus sent upon the church with his Father is the Spirit who lives within you and caused Jesus to be raised from the dead. That same power is resident in your life. He is able to reveal all of his gifts in you, to release all of his gifts in you, to, to extend your capacity and your ability. And he's able to take the very word of God that he caused to be written through the writers of Scripture, And as you learn to walk with him, one step after the other, to, in the words of Paul, stay in step with him. As you use scripture and the presence of the Spirit in his gifts, you'll learn, like all of us are learning, how to do this walk. Morning Prayers, that meets online at 8.30, focuses principally on Scripture and then the work of the Spirit. Evening prayers are going to be focused principally on the work of the Spirit and the way in which we can understand them from Scripture. And so in our prayer times through the week, every day, we're going to be digging the tunnel from both ends of the mountain. And so if you want to join us at 6 o'clock in the evening to understand what it means to walk by the Spirit, then come on. I'll be doing a little bit of teaching and then we'll pray into it. If you want to understand how it is that God is preparing our hearts and preparing my heart principally to preach on a Sunday, then come to the morning prayer times because there I read the passage that we'll be looking at the next Sunday. And we see the unfolding of God's revelation as we pray into it together. You see, this is not a top-down thing. But this is a collaborative work of the Spirit. And if you can find the time, join us and grow in these things. Go on the website and you'll see the connections to the Zoom rooms if you can't be here. But occasionally we'll be in the building as well, so come then. But whichever way, in your house church, in your household, at the prayer times, in your own reflection Think of this. Jesus has ensured that we have the tools for the task because he sent his spirit upon us and delivered his word into our hands. Is there an amen in the room? Amen and amen. Let's pray.